Do you remember the first time you ever drove a car? I was about 11 years old. I was with my dad in the Republic of Ireland, visiting his mother, my grandmother. She lives in a remote part of the Wicklow Mountains, where you're much more likely to run into a sheep than you are into a human. He pulled over at the side of one of these country lanes, and he stopped the car, and he turned to me, and he said, do you want to drive? And I was like, yeah. I said, but what about if I damage the car? He said, oh, don't worry, it's a rental car. <laughs> so we <laughs> traded seats. I sat in, I taught me how to turn the ignition on, and, uh, and then he said, all right, here's how it works. And that was a stick shift. You've got to put your foot on the clutch, you've got to put it into gear, and then gradually, slowly, you've got to feather the accelerator down as you lift the clutch up until you hit that biting point, and then, and then you just kind of go forward like that. It was disastrous. <laughs> Before eventually I stalled the car. He said, don't worry about it, it's okay, it happens to everyone when they first try, just start again. So turn the ignition off, back on, give it another go, and this time I nail it hit first gear and we're cruising along. I can't believe it. And then he says, all right, now try going into second gear. Ah! So I put my foot back on the clutch. He says, pull it down into second, feather it up again. And there I am, hit second gear. I'm cruising along down this country lane. I can't believe it. I'm driving a car. I've only ever seen other people drive cars. And here I am, 11-year-old Ellis driving a car. It was epic. Today we reach a point in the story of Jesus where he does the same thing to his disciples. Where he hands them the keys and he says, now you drive. And he does the same thing to us, his disciples, here in Gig Harbor in the 21st century. You have a part to play in Jesus' mission to this world. My name's Ellis. I am a pastor here at Chapel Hill. Thank you for choosing to worship with us today. And greetings to those of you who are online, whether you are tuning in live or watching this at another point. Over the last six months, we have worked our way through the first third of Luke's biography of Jesus' life. We call it Luke's Gospel. And we've seen over the last six months Jesus doing things that no one had ever done before. His birth was announced by angelic visitors. As a child, he amazed the teachers in the temple. And then as an adult, he has overcome a battle with the devil. He's taught with authority like no one else. He's cast out demons. He's healed the sick. He's touched the unclean, and they've become clean. He's made a, a lame man walk. He's forgiven the sins of a prostitute. He's calmed the storm, and he's raised two people from the dead. And then he turns to these 12, who he called to follow him. And he says to them, all right, now it's your turn. You go do it. Like he hands the keys to the car. And he says, you want to take a drive? Here you go. Let's listen to how Luke records this significant turning point in his gospel in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, 
No staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we began this journey through Luke's gospel, we also launched an initiative as a church. We want to model ourselves and our lives after Jesus. And his mission was to seek and save the lost. He left the 99 to find the one. And we called this initiative for the one. We believe God has called us as his disciples to play a part in Jesus' mission by being for one person who doesn't currently know Jesus, to pray for them, to spend time with them, to care for them, to share the gospel with them, and to invite them to be a part of something bigger than themselves, the church. And as we read of Jesus handing the keys over to his disciples, he's handing the keys over to us too. He's saying, you, the people of Chapel Hill, my, my disciples here, I have a part for you to play in my mission. And as Jesus taught those disciples 2,000 years ago how to play that part, I believe he teaches us how to play our part in this mission. So today's message is called How to Be for the One. We all have a part to play in Jesus' mission. And in this passage, he gives us five ways that we can play that part. Now, I want to recognize that there might be some of you here who wouldn't call yourself a disciple, that is, a follower of Jesus. And if that's so, we're really glad that you are here. And you you get a chance to preview what Jesus calls those of us who are his followers to do. And I believe Jesus has a part for you to play in his mission too. And maybe as you hear this, your heart might be inclined to say, actually, I want to be a part of this as well. I want to follow Jesus. I want a part to play in something bigger than myself. But for those of us who already follow Jesus, who are his disciples, we have a part to play. And Jesus gives us five ways that we can play that part. And they form an acrostic around the letters of those words, a part, A-P-A-R-T. So the first way that we get to play a part in Jesus' mission in being for the one is to A, accept power and authority. Last week, our high schoolers got back from a trip to Mexico, and I've been down to Mexico a few times over the years, and on past trips, we've built houses, and on those trips, you're not allowed to use power tools. Every pound of cement has to be mixed by hand. Every two-by-four has to be cut by hand. Every nail has to be hammered in by hand, and it is hard work. Now, the very first time I went down to Mexico, I'd actually never used a cement mixer or a circular saw or a nail gun before, so I didn't know any different. I just thought, this is what it takes. But then I came back, and I took on a small home project, and I I borrowed a circular saw and a nail gun, and oh my word, (laughs) it's so much easier. I couldn't believe the difference that power tools can make to your ability to do something. Now, if we're to do what Jesus did, we can't do it in our own power. 
One of the repeated themes in, in the Gospels, and you've heard Pastor Mark emphasize this the last two weeks, is that Jesus has power and authority. Power and authority over nature, over sickness, over the demonic, and over death. And in the first verse of chapter 9, Jesus gives that power to his disciples. It's literally like he hands them the power tool that he's been using, and he says, here, you use it. Take a look at it again, verse 1. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. Jesus gave his disciples power and authority over the forces of this world. The same power that he gave to those first disciples, he now gives to us, his modern-day disciples. Throughout the New Testament, it becomes clear that this power to which Jesus refers is poured out upon us through his Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to do what he did. And if you want to be for the one, if you want to play a part in Jesus' mission, the first thing you need to do is accept the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do this on your own strength. That's why we so frequently pray that prayer, come Holy Spirit. We must start with the power of the Spirit. So to play a part, first, the letter A, we must accept power and authority. Second, A, P, to play a part, we must pray for people. Several years ago, I got to serve as a volunteer chaplain at the local YMCA. It was a great opportunity to meet and and connect with people who are outside of our church community. As part of my role, I'd often have people kind of open up to me about what was going on in their life. I was wearing like a polo shirt with the Y and it said chaplain on it. I guess they kind of felt safe with me. And and so they'd share things and, and I'd listen. And then when I'd finished listening, it felt like they'd kind of shared all they wanted to share. Frequently, I would say to them, would it be okay if I prayed for you right now? And every single time I did that, they said, yeah. And I would offer a prayer. I'd lay a hand on them and I'd say, could could I put a hand on you? And I'd I'd lay a hand on them and I'd pray for them. I'd pray for God to come upon them and meet them in the midst of what they were going through. In verse 2, we read Jesus, or we read this, and Jesus sent them, the disciples, out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Jesus' mission that he invited his disciples to play a part in, being, being for the one, it means to proclaim the good news that God's kingdom, that is the place where God rules and reigns, has broken into this world and has begun to triumph over the powers that exist in this world. Jesus is beginning to claim back what is rightfully his. And in that way, he's bringing healing and restoration to those who need it. And I believe one of the best ways that you can proclaim the kingdom of God breaking into the world is to pray for people. And I don't just mean pray for people when you're not with them. I mean when you are with them. To say to them, can I pray for you about that right now, and lay a hand on them and ask for God's kingdom to come upon them in power. You know, when I've done this, I have found that the person I'm praying for, even if they don't know Jesus, don't have anything to do with church, 
will very often remark afterwards, wow, I, I feel a real sense of peace. You know, that is the tangible presence of God. God's kingdom breaking into this world, into their life. And they know it. That's one of the best ways that we can proclaim God's kingdom and bring healing in this world, in this context in which we find ourselves. It's powerful. So, that's the P. A, P, P, we must pray for people. And third, A, P, A, if we're to be for the one, we must allow others to provide. I hate asking people for things. Does anyone else hate having to ask people to borrow things? Yeah? Those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're just too proud to admit it. I hate texting a, a friend and saying, can, can I borrow a power tool? Or texting a neighbor, can we borrow some chairs? We've got some extra people coming over. I, I just, I somehow I feel like I'm inadequate or, or maybe I'm imposing on other people in some way. And yet I found that when I have actually done this and allowed others to provide for things that I lack, it has built and deepened friendships and relationships. Like the time I had to ask my neighbor to borrow his ladder because mine was too short and we'd locked ourselves out of our house and I needed to break in. <laughs> That's the story we'll never forget and it's bonded us together and it all came because I allowed someone else to provide for me in my time of need. Jesus calls his disciples to put themselves in a position where they will need others to provide. Take a look at verse 3. And Jesus said to them, take nothing for your journey no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. Jesus literally sends his disciples out with nothing but the clothes on their back. No walking stick for the long hikes, no bag for supplies, no food to eat, no money to buy things, not even a spare coat. Why does he do this? I believe it's so that they would learn to rely on persons other than themselves. First and foremost, to rely on God. But more often than not, God tends to provide through other people. And when we allow others to provide for us, it deepens our relationship with them and offers us opportunities to minister the good news about Jesus to them. Now, quick caveat here. I don't believe Jesus is telling you to quit your job and just rely on other people to provide you everything you need. <laughs> Elsewhere in the New Testament, we read this. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We are called to provide for our families. But let's be real honest here. How many of us have more than enough? Like, do we really need that extra tool that we know our friend already has, and actually we're just kind of coveting it, we're kind of struggling with envy? We know, we know they'd let us borrow it if we needed it for the one time, but, but we want it, so we're going to buy it anyway. Do we really need that extra tool? Do we really need an extra table and chairs for the one-off party that we're throwing when we know that our neighbor has a table and chairs that they, they'd say, oh yeah, no, come get them, they're in the garage, just, just, go, just use them whenever you want. Do we really need that extra outfit for that one special occasion when we know we've got a friend who's the same size as us and, and it probably has a dozen outfits we could pick from? 
Do we really need an abundance of things so that we never learn what it means for God to come through in our time of need? No, we don't. If anything, in this community, we need to learn to rely on God's provision by not buying everything we think we need, but reaching out and asking if we can borrow from a friend. Deepens relationships, makes connections, provides opportunities for us to minister to them and them to minister to us. Jesus sends his disciples out with only the clothes on their back and he says to us to allow others to provide for you. So that's the A. A A-P-A-R is the fourth letter. The fourth way we can play a part is respond yes to invitations. We recently were invited to have dinner for the first time with a family who shared with us over the course of the meal that they had invited us to dinner eight years earlier and we'd never responded. It taken us eight years to respond to their invite. Now, we laughed about it. They were very gracious, uh, making it clear that there was no hard feelings. And then the next day, kind of jokingly, they sent us a calendar invite for eight years' time. (laughs) I declined and, and invited them over for dinner a few weeks later. Jesus' instructions to his disciples when he sends them out was to respond yes to invitations of hospitality. Here's what Jesus says in verse 4. Whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. So as the disciples were, were sent out to seek and save the lost, Jesus says, be grateful guests in the homes in which you're received and don't dishonor your guests by like bouncing around from home to home to home to home. That's what, that's what he means when he says, wherever you enter, stay there and from there depart. When you, when you leave the town, that's when you leave the house. Don't jump from house to house to house within the town. Jesus wants his disciples to honor those who are showing them hospitality by receiving it. Because in the act of receiving hospitality, we demonstrate value towards our host. And when it took eight years for us to say yes to that dinner invitation, that demonstrated that we didn't value the person who wanted to host us, the person who had invited us. Responding yes to an invite, and I might add following through on that yes, demonstrates value to those that are hosting us. So if you're invited to a party or a dinner or, or an event or to go out somewhere or to do anything by someone who you believe God is calling you to be for, someone who might be that one that you are for, if they invite you to something, respond yes. Now, this might mean you have to respond no to something else, maybe even respond no to something that might be more fun. Maybe just means responding no to another evening of of Netflix. But respond yes if the personal persons you've been praying for, you've been investing in, you feel God is calling you to, if they invite you to be a part of something, respond yes. So that's point Number four, A-P-A-R, respond yes to invitations. The fifth and final letter in that acrostic, how we can play a part in Jesus' mission is the letter T. Trust God can do it without you. When my wife Rachel, who's our pastor of life groups and Alpha, was in high school, she prayed every single day for three of her friends to come to know Jesus. And she would 
spend time with them. She'd care for them. She'd invest in them. She, she would share the gospel with them. She'd even open the Bible with them. And, and the result was that they staged an intervention and told her to stop doing it. So she backed off. She recognized that maybe she needed to trust that God could do it without her. Sometimes the people that God calls us to invest in may not respond to what we share with them. And we might need to trust that God can do it without us. And Jesus prepared his disciples for this. Here's what he said, verse 5. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. Jesus told his disciples that some might not respond to the good news. And the way his disciples were to handle this was to simply move on. Just like Rachel had to do with her friends in high school. Respect the decision that that they said, we don't want you to talk to us about Jesus anymore. And Rachel had to recognize I've done all that God has called me to do and I have to trust that he can finish the job without me. And here's the amazing thing. A couple of years ago, we were back in the UK and Rachel and I took a walk in the beautiful English countryside in, in my hometown, not her hometown. And we bumped into one of these friends in the middle of the countryside. She was out with her husband, and in the course of the conversation, she shared that through her husband and his friends, she had come to faith in Jesus and was now serving in a local church. And then she went on to tell us that another one of those three three friends that Rachel had been praying for all those years ago had also come to faith in Jesus and was a part of a local church. Rachel had no idea. She couldn't believe it that these three friends that she prayed for all those years ago and felt like, okay, I have to trust them to you, God. Two out of the three of them had come to know Jesus by some other means. We need to trust that God can do it without us. Sometimes we aren't the person that God is going to use to bring another person to a saving knowledge of Jesus. Sometimes we might need to stand aside. We might need to move on and pray and trust that God's going to use some other means to reach that person. Now, this is not an excuse to, to give up easily. God's called us to, to love people, to be for them, to care for them, to pray for them. But sometimes, maybe, we need to recognize that we need to step back and trust that maybe God's going to use someone else here. We aren't the Savior. Jesus is, right? God doesn't have to use me in this situation. He can work through other means, just like he did with Rachel. Maybe you have a friend or a family member who who you'd love to come to know Jesus, and and you've prayed for them, you've cared for them, you've invested in that relationship, you've, you've invited them to come to church, you've shared the good news with them, you've done everything that you can, but It just seems like they're going, get away from me. Maybe, maybe you need to take a step back. Don't stop praying. Don't stop loving them. But maybe you just need to trust that God is going to use some other means to bring them to himself. So, to sum up, in Jesus' mission, we all have a part to play. A, P, A, R-T. Accept power and authority. Pray for people. 
allow others to provide, respond yes to invitations, and trust God can do it without you. Our God's bigger and greater than we can even imagine. You have a part to play. He invites you to play a part in his mission. And and one of our roles as your church leaders is to encourage you and to equip you to play that part. And we would love some feedback on how we are doing at that, particularly as it pertains to the For the One initiative that we launched six months ago. We'd love also to give you an opportunity to maybe assess where am I at in terms of playing a part in Jesus's mission. So at the end of your pews, you're going to find these surveys. I'd love you, if you're sitting on the end of the pew, would you pass that down? Take one, pass it along. Maybe you need to reach down there, move over there. Feel free to get up as you need to. And if you don't get one, just raise your hand. We've got greeters who, who can distribute them to you. Now, just for those of you who don't call Chapel Hill your home church, for those of you who may be visiting with us or you're kind of new with us, you don't need to answer this survey. This is really for those who call Chapel Hill home. But, but maybe, as others are answering this survey, maybe you want to take a moment to quietly reflect. Maybe you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe today's the day when you need to say, actually, I want to be a part of this. I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. Maybe God's brought you here today for that very reason. And maybe in the next few moments as others fill this out, maybe you just need to pray to God and say, okay, God, I'm ready. I'm going to follow you. Jesus, I give my life to you. Or if you, if you already follow Jesus, but you wouldn't call Chapel Hill your home church, maybe just reflect, is there someone God is calling you to be for in your life? Someone who doesn't yet know Jesus. Maybe you could pray for them right now. But for those of us who call Chapel Hill your home church, we'd love you to fill that survey out. If you've got any questions or comments about For the One, there's a box at the bottom. Please feel free to write that on there. It can be anonymous, or if you want to put your name, uh, then please go ahead and do that. Parents, feel free to uh, engage your kids in this however you feel is appropriate. Uh, Kids are welcome to fill those out, but if that doesn't seem right, then uh, you can direct your kids in that way. So we're going to give you a moment to fill these forms out right now. There's pens in the pews in front of you, uh, or you can use your own. And when you're finished, just hang on to it. There's baskets at the doors on the way out. So we'll, we'll leave them in those baskets as we head out of the sanctuary. So go ahead and take some time to fill that out right now. With my hands lifted high 
Today at Chapel Hill Church. If you'd like to visit us in person, we're located at 7700 Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington. Our worship services are Sundays at 9 and 10:30. We hope to see you there. To learn more about our upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org. pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much that we don't have to fight the battles of our lives. Whatever we're facing, we can call on your name. We can pray to you. We can ask for help. We can ask for you to intervene. Whatever challenge, whatever obstacle is before us, we know that nothing is greater than you. Nothing has greater power than you do. And so we can just ask. We thank you for that, that simple prayer of faith that we can call out on you. And you act, you listen, you hear from heaven. So we just pray, would you, would you act, would you hear from heaven? Lord, this morning we bring whatever's heaviest on our hearts, whatever's most present on our minds, and we ask you to act. We want to fight our battles in prayer. Lord, forgive us, we pray. 
for trying to fight our own battles, to try to manipulate our way through situations, to try to control other people, uh, to try to control circumstances, Lord, and uh, not really owning up to our own part in the problems that we have. And so we just ask, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us? Would you make us new? Would you strengthen us? Would you change us? Would you make us ever more dependent on you, dependent on your help? We just come before you this morning admitting that, admitting our need for you, and we bring to you in the quiet of our hearts those battles that we're facing, the things that we're going through, and we ask the Lord to act. Would you hear now from heaven as we bring our greatest concerns from our hearts to yours in prayer?